Have you ever had someone be just a total jerk to you where you tried so hard just to be calm and to hold back, to restrain yourself from lashing out, but then you were just pushed to the edge, right to the brink, to where you couldn't take it anymore, and you just let go that verbal onslaught on that person to where, I mean, you just kind of blacked out. You don't know what you said. You just hope nothing was said that would be an indictment against you. Ever been there before? Well, that's not exactly where Paul finds himself in the text, but he's getting close to that here, okay? He's dealing with some people that have not been making life very easy for him. He doesn't want to have to stoop to their level, but it seems to be the only way that he can get through to them, to speak on their level and to say things in a way that they're gonna kind of relate to and understand. But we're gonna notice something here. Paul doesn't try and defend himself by how great he is, but rather how great Jesus is. Paul's gonna move into an area of boasting now that he's been trying to avoid. But we're gonna notice that his boasting is not in and of himself, but more so, boasting in his weakness to reveal the greatness of Jesus. Look at verse 16 again. I say again, let no one think me a fool, if otherwise, at least receive me as a fool. Kind of how you guys you know, do with me every, every Sunday here. Uh, he says that I also may boast a little. See, Paul didn't like getting you know, pulled in this tactic of having to promote himself. He, he calls it foolishness. Any kind of boasting himself, he says, this is ridiculous, it's dumb, it's foolish. See, for the believer, our goal should never be to try to promote ourselves, to make something of us. Our goal as believers is always to promote Jesus, to make much of Jesus. But because these false apostles were challenging Paul's authority, his role as an apostle, and in so doing, we're ultimately undermining the gospel. Paul's having to speak up now and ultimately do so not for his sake, but for the gospel's sake, to defend the gospel. So Paul now needs to call them on all these things and ultimately show his credentials as a true apostle, thus revealing that he's preaching the true gospel. And in doing so, he recognizes all this is gonna sound very foolish. He's hating to do this. It's foolish to him, but he asks them now just to indulge this foolishness for a bit so he can deal with these false apostles on their level since it's the only way that they're gonna really understand. So Paul reiterates that this boasting in self does not accurately reflect Christ. Look at verse 17. He says, what I speak, I speak not according to the Lord, but as it were foolishly in this confidence of boasting, seeing that many boast, according to the flesh, I also will boast. So we see here, Paul says, I speak not according to the Lord. That doesn't mean that he's not communicating inspired scripture. He's not saying that the Lord's checked out and the Lord's saying, Paul, you're on your own now. Whatever you're writing, this is of you. No, what he's meaning is that this kind of conduct is not of the Lord. To boast in self, this is not something that the Lord is instructing him to do as far as boasting in himself. These false apostles, had no problem doing it. They're boasting in themselves and doing so falsely. It's easy to really make much of yourself when you're not really dealing with reality. When you just kind of say whatever you want, build yourself up however you want and nobody's fact checking it. So Paul's calling on this and, and revealing that they're boasting now according to the flesh. This is something that they're doing just 
for themselves, making it about themselves. That's why Paul would say in, in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 17, but he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. This is not about us. We're never to be in a place where we're trying to elevate self. Our goal is always ultimately to die to self so as to elevate Jesus. These false apostles are boasting in their own accomplishments, boasting in who they are, boasting according to the flesh as we see. So Paul reaches now a point in his letter where he figures he might as well play their game a little and see who comes out ahead. So Paul's gonna resort now to some foolishness, to some boasting. I also will boast. He goes, if you guys wanna boast, well, I'm gonna boast too. But again, we're gonna see his boasting is not to make something of himself, it's to make something of Jesus, to make Jesus known. His boasting is gonna be on an entirely different level than the false apostles. He says in verse 19, for you put up with fools gladly since you yourselves are wise. For you put up with it if one brings you into bondage, if one devours you, if one takes from you, if one exalts himself, if one strikes you on the face. To our shame, I say that we are too weak for that. But in whatever anyone is bold, I speak foolishly, I am bold also. Now, Paul, once again, and he's been doing a lot of this in the latter part of 2 Corinthians, he uses some sarcasm. Paul's been dealing a lot with irony, with satire, sarcasm here. And he says, listen, you yourselves, you're so wise, even though you're putting up with fools. The Corinthian believers were listening to all these false apostles and they're putting up with them, thinking that they're so wise, that they're gaining something from these guys. But notice here now what these guys are doing. Who were those that they're putting up with? We have some, some hints here. He says, they're ones that brought you into bondage. These are ones that devour you. They take from you. They exalt themselves. They even strike you on the face. These were the people that Paul's contending with that the Corinthian believers we're putting up with, listen, when you're looking for qualities in a good leader, these are not typically what you're aiming for right here. I'm looking for a person that can really be abusive, that can really be hard on me. That sometimes if I needed just a good slap in the face, that's not who you're looking for when you're looking for a good leader, yet these are the ones they're putting up with. And it gives us a bit of a, a hint as to who these people were. Most likely, these are the Judaizers that were a constant threat to the early church. Because the Judaizers were those that were Jewish, but they said, listen, you can have Jesus. We believe in Jesus, but you've also got to follow the Mosaic law. You gotta to continue to uphold and bring yourselves under the requirements of the law. And to do so was to bring people into bondage. That's why Paul says it here. It was to bring them into bondage. How so? Because they were adding to the simplicity of the gospel. Jesus has come and he's provided it all for us. We no longer need to uphold certain requirements. We just simply need to be found in Jesus with a faith in the work he's done for us. To bring people into the law would simply to rob them of the freedom and the life 
that they received in and through Jesus. Look at what Paul would say in Galatians chapter two, verse four. And this occurred because of false brethren secretly brought in who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. This is why Paul says in Galatians 5.1, stand fast therefore in the liberty by which Christ has made us free and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Amen. It's very clear. Paul says anything that you might add to the work of Jesus is gonna bring you into bondage. Listen, the enemy is constantly looking to bring believers under a religious spirit. You might think, oh, the enemy hates religion. No, the enemy loves religion. Why? Because religion makes people think that they're doing enough in and of themselves to be right with God. Everything they do seems good, seems right, but when that becomes your requirement for righteousness, you're missing it and you're ultimately brought into bondage because you're relying on a works base rather than a grace base. You're not no longer relying on the simple grace that Jesus affords us. And when we move away from that simple message of saved by grace through faith, then we've corrupted the gospel and its bondage. How we need to resist a spirit of religion because it's so tempting to feel like, man, this is making me more holy. This is making me more righteous. If you're doing something that you think is adding to your righteousness, then you've missed it because it's only found in Jesus and a surrendered life to the work that he's done for us. So these believers here now, again, they brought them in a bondage. They've devoured some of them. How so? They've been hard on people. They've been exercising a spiritual authority. Sometimes they did that through financial uh, gain and, and devouring them financially saying, hey, you got to add to or you got to contribute to the work that we're doing and you need to, to pay our, our way so we can continue to be these great leaders for you. And if you don't, then, you know, we're going to slap you in the face, right? So, so they're devouring them and they're taking from them here again, taking from them. That is better understood as taking advantage of a person. They use their self-imposed spiritual authority to manipulate and to dictate what others would do. And then if one exalts himself, again, it was kind of the cultural norm in this day for a person to exalt themselves and boast in their accomplishments. But again, that's not the way of a true follower of Christ. The believer is to glory in the Lord. Our boast should always center in what Jesus has done and not in what we've done. Amen. Let me say it again. Our boast should always center in what Jesus has done for us and not in what we ourselves have done. And then if one strikes you on the face, these, these false apostles, you know, had the goal to actually exercise kind of a, a physical abuse upon them. We read that that happened with Jesus, with Paul at the hands of religious leaders. And the real shocker of this all, again, as Paul highlights at the beginning of verse 20, uh, uh, sorry, verse 19, you put up with this. And in verse 20, for you put up with it. They were allowing these things to happen and they were allowing it to happen because they're thinking this is making us wise. As Paul said sarcastically, they're, 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 they feel like there's a, a level of wisdom in that, that there's, they're growing spiritually. They're allowing all these things to happen because it's, it's for their own good. Listen, this is not the way that ministers of, of God should be operating. No one should be leaving church here on a Sunday going, Oh, what a great service that was. That pastor sure laid a strip off me, man. I, I'm leaving here 100 times 
feeling worse than I did when I came. What a great day. Praise the Lord. Like nobody should be leaving church feeling beat up and thinking that that's what they need. Oh, there are times where, yes, the, the, the message and the truth of God's word is gonna bring conviction where you feel like, man, I need, that was heavy. Oh, I need, to, I need to hear that. But it's for the sake of building you up, stripping away things that are getting in the way of your walk and development in the Lord Jesus. It's not to beat you up, it's to build you up ultimately. And that's what should be happening here at church. Paul says, and I like this, in verse 21, to our shame, I say that we were too weak for that. We, we saw all these things we're doing, and yes, that looked to you like the, the spiritual thing to do, but we were just too weak for that. Paul was criticized for not being authoritative, not being domineering, but that's not the way of Christ. It's not that Paul was too weak for behaving this way and treating others that hard, but Paul knew it was more of a blessing to walk in grace. Aren't you guys thankful for grace? Because I recognize that I deserve all these things from the Lord himself, for my rebellion, my sin, my waywardness. I deserve all these things, but the Lord always deals with me in grace. The Lord deals with you in grace. Oh, he doesn't just let things slide and say, oh, no big deal. No, he brings correction, but he does so lovingly. That's why the Bible says the Lord chastens those whom he loves. He does it out of love to bring correction, to bring healing, and to strengthen us ultimately. And what a blessing it is when we walk in grace with one another. Paul modeled that, exemplified that. It says, we're too weak for this heavy-handed stuff. And not that he was, but he realized grace is a much better way to live, having received immensely the wonderful grace of God. So having settled up, Paul now really moves into his boasting. But again, even his boasting is gonna be uh, of an entire different nature than these false apostles. We read in verse 22, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. So these false apostles, they may have laid claim to being solid Jewish stock and thought that they had an upper hand in things pertaining to the law. But Paul comes along and says, listen, I'm a Jew through and through. I can match you guys pedigree for pedigree here. And more so, Paul says in verse 23, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool, I am more. Paul says, more than just being a, a Hebrew of the seed of Abraham, I'm a minister of Christ. And much more than those guys are. And again, he says, oh, I'm, I'm speaking like a madman here. I don't like saying it. I don't like trying to compare myself with others, but you guys need to understand who these people are and the danger that they pose in the church and to your lives and to your relationship with Jesus. He's speaking like a fool to get through to them. He says, are they ministers of Christ? Oh, I am more. See, these guys were claiming to be ministers of Christ, but they were leading and ministering with such a, a heavy handedness, an abusive authority. Um, uh, being a minister does not give a person the right to lord it over others as, as, as Peter was told, to shepherd the flock of God that is among you, not lording it over them as the Gentiles do. Being a minister of Christ actually means that 
You're to be a servant. That Greek word minister is the Greek word diakonos, where we get our word deacon from, which implies being a servant. So a minister is ultimately a servant. As a minister, oh, I don't lay any claim to having, you know, any kind of special authority or rights. I don't walk up to the mission market and think, hey guys, I'm the minister here. I'm gonna take a lot of these things for free. Even though I sometimes uh, do that, not because I'm, you know, abusing it. It just kind of happens, but that's an, uh, I have money today, but. But I don't walk up somewhere and go, I'm the minister here. Please go get me coffee. I'm a minister here. Reserve the best seat for me in this place. Like, I, I, it's wrong to do that. I'm to be a servant. I'm to be uh, a co-minister, co-laborer with all of you. And guess what? As servants, you're all called to be ministers. You're all called to fulfill that role of ministering the gospel of Jesus Christ as I'm called to minister, serve out the good news of Jesus Christ through the word of God. That's what we're all called to do. There's no higher you know, level or, or position that a minister is provided. It's to be a servant. So Paul says, these guys were not fulfilling that role. They're abusing it. I'm more of a minister than them. And then he moves in now to talk about these credentials that sets him apart, that sets Paul apart as a true minister of Christ. Now, let me read to you from Hughes. He says, Paul is not in fact magnifying self in the passage which is now beginning. In this too, there's complete disparity between himself and his adversaries, but he is magnifying as he does throughout this epistle, the amazing grace of God, which in the midst of afflictions and sufferings is sufficient for his every need. So Paul goes on to, to list a number of these things that he's had to endure kind of his credentials as a minister of the Lord. He, he says, in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. So in labors, in stripes, in prisons, in deaths, I mean, yikes. This is heavy duty stuff here. Paul was a, a true laborer and, and he didn't just go around getting funded. Being a, a minister of the gospel was labor intensive enough, but Paul, when he came to Corinth, remember, he began to work as a tent maker. He was supporting himself so that he could be able to minister the gospel free of charge there in Corinth. So he was involved in great labor, not just sharing the gospel, but working to support sharing the gospel. When he was in Ephesus, we read in Acts 19 that he would, during the siesta time, the, the heat of the day in the afternoon, when everybody would go and take a break, he would go and rent a school, the school of Tyrannus, it tells us, and he would begin to teach the Bible and disciple people. He didn't take a break. He was enjoying siesta. Well, he was enjoying it, but in a different way. He was bringing forth the word of God. So in labors, more abundant in stripes, that speaks of of whippings, beatings that he received that would oftentimes, you know, cause the average man just to go running home to mama if he could even move at all after a beating like that. And he received, many of them we'll see, in prisons, more frequently in deaths often. Paul's gonna expand on these things in the following verses, but in relaying these things, Paul is proving himself a true apostle. Despite all these difficulties, Paul knew that Jesus was worth it all. See, these other guys 
would have hightailed it out of there at the smallest hint of any suffering or persecution or trial or difficulty. They'd have been like, I'm checking out, man. That's not what I signed up for. I'm to be the guy that's telling everybody what to do and to serve me. And the moment that any difficulty came, they would have hightailed out of there. Paul says, man, I've been enduring all these things multiple times. And he's still faithful with the gospel. Look at what he goes on to say in verse 24 as he continues this list of credentials. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been in the deep, in journeys often in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils of, uh, in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil and sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Let me stop right there. What's interesting is Paul's writing of 2 Corinthians lines up chronologically with Luke's account in Acts up to Acts chapter 20, verse two. And so if you read through the book of Acts, you're gonna hear a lot about Paul's story. But the majority of these things you don't even read about. Oh, you'll hear of a imprisonment in the book of Acts chapter uh, 16 in, in Philippi, but many of these things is not included in the book of Acts, meaning that there's so much stuff that went on that we don't even know the half of it. And Paul is giving us a little bit of an insider glimpse as to the kind of life that he's endured for the gospel by which he's also endured with joy and gladness for the one that is deserving of it all. He says, 40 stripes minus one. That was a Jewish punishment. 40 stripes. That was blows, whips that was done in a very cruel manner. It was written in the law that you can only give 40 blows and no, no more. Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 3. 40, it's biblical number of judgment, 39, the biblical number of mercy. And so when they were whipping uh, somebody, a, a, a prisoner, a criminal, or somebody to confess a crime, uh, again, Paul says it was 40 minus 1. And they would, they would just go to 39 in case as they're doing so in this Jewish form of punishment, they went over 40 and then broke the law. So like, oh, we, we may lose count. So let's just do 39. So in case we've gone over, we will be within that range where we haven't broken the law. So this beating would oftentimes bring a person to the point of death. And some would succumb to death as a result of this. Paul endured this five times, my friends. Five times he went to that. He was beaten with rods. It was a Roman form of punishment. Paul was stoned, thankfully just once, because I don't know if you could endure that a second time. It, it doesn't take too many of those to like take you out. And Paul survived through one of those. Now, he says, three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day, I've been in the deep and journeys often in perils of, of water. Listen, traveling in this day was brutal enough, but traveling by ship was kind of next level. Uh, in a bad way. It was not a good thing to do. It's like you made sure you were up on your traveling insurance if you were going on a ship traveling by sea in that day. This was a difficult thing to endure. A lot of people would avoid it. But here's Paul now. He says, not only was I shipwrecked three times, but I spent a night and a day in the open seas. I mean, I'm sure Paul is contemplating life in that time going, is this really worth it? <laughs> Should I just go and, you know, make a living somewhere else here? Like this is, 
not seemingly going my way. I mean, just think about what he's having to, to go through and endure. Some historians have said that there's no other man in the ancient world who's recorded to have traveled as much as Paul. And that wasn't easy traveling in this day. We complain about a lack of leg room on a flight or the meals being a little bit soggy or maybe cold at times. I mean, Paul would have been like, you mean I can get from this point to this point in two hours rather than two months and they're gonna feed me on the way? Like, giddy up. How much better can this get? And we're complaining over those things. I mean, just put things in perspective here for us. But traveling around to share the gospel brought countless dangers. That's why he says, in journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers. I mean, just tra- you know, traveling through some of those roadways, there would be people waiting in the wings to come out and, and, and mug you, steal from you, rob you in perils of my own countrymen. I mean, there was no place that Paul felt safe. Uh, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, perils in the sea, perils among false brethren. Everywhere that Paul went, he was facing danger. What keeps a man like this going on in the face of such adversity? I think we could rightly say Paul had the right attitude in these things. Because Paul was a man that had already laid down his life for the one that was truly worth living for. He was not holding his life dear to himself. He was not trying to make a comfortable life for himself. His life was already surrendered to the work of the Lord. No matter what that brought him, I've used this verse multiple times as we've been studying through 2 Corinthians. I'll bring it up again here as a reminder to us. Acts 20 verse 24, here's what Paul says. None of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy in the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul could say, nothing is gonna move me. Nothing's gonna deter me. Nothing's gonna move me off course because I don't even consider my life dear to me. I'm living for something greater, something better than me, something that is more worth living for than just my little stinky life. That's Paul's attitude here. Paul went through the gamut of suffering. He pretty much experienced every adversity. Yet here he is, faithfully writing to the church at Corinth to continue on in the faith. Some people under Paul's experiences would have been writing, guys, give it up, man. It's not worth it. It's too hard. It's too difficult. It's too dangerous. Run while you can. Get away from this. But Paul says, it's all worth it. He'll say at the end of 2 Corinthians, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord because... It is absolutely worth it. Paul knew that this life isn't supposed to be for our comfort. This life is to get us ready for the next one. It's meant to be lived with faith and trust in Jesus. We're to be dependent on him. He's to be our strength. Listen, let me ask you, how would you fare if God called you to a life like what Paul had to experience? What if God called you to a life of only a quarter of what Paul has shared with us today of his own experiences. Would you still be here every Sunday worshiping and praising God? Would you still be saying, it's worth it. It's far greater, it's far better. Is your faithfulness to Jesus dependent on your circumstances? Is your view of God's love towards you dependent on your circumstances based on the the good things that happened to you? If so, 
you may not have a true grasp of the gospel. See, Jesus didn't die on a cross to make your life pleasant in this world. He died to save you from the penalty of sin and to bring you into right standing with God. That standing with God is not determined by your circumstances. See, we live in a fallen world. Sin has messed up everything, but we've been saved from sin and we're looking forward to the redeemed world to come. We're looking forward to eternal life. I'm not relying on everything being pleasant now because I know Jesus has already secured all that for me. And one day I will see the fulfillment of that. That's why I don't need to be bothered by difficulties or hardships. It's all temporary. And our hope is to be in Jesus. Our hope is to be in what he's already done internally in the present in our lives. And our hope is to be in what he has prepared externally for us in the present or in the future, I should say. We have a blessed hope, my friends, that allows us to ride over all these trials, adversities, difficulties, circumstances, to ride over those with a hope in what is awaiting us and what's already been provided for us. Don't lose sight of that. Now back to Paul, you think he's <laughs> listed off every possible trial that he could. But then he says in verse 28, besides the other things, I'm like, what? There's more? You've actually got other stuff you had to go that you don't even find it time to fit in here? There's more, like he says, besides the other things, man, I can't even get into it. But he says, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. Here Paul reveals what really brought him into anguish and turmoil Internally, that was his deep concern for the churches, for believers to be growing in the Lord and, and staying steadfast in the faith. He's seeing the church of Corinth being rocked, being challenged, and he's got a burden for them that just says, I don't care about all the other stuff I've been through. Now, my, my real concern and care is for these churches and for these believers. Do we have a care like that for one another? Or do we get so bothered and fixated upon the stuff that we're going through, the stuff that we're dealing with? Man, I think that it goes a long ways for us to have a proper perspective on our own trials when we say, I'm more concerned for what others are going through. I wanna come alongside them and be a help and be a blessing to them. And when you do so, you're gonna see that your issues begin to fade and become a lot smaller than you originally thought. Have a heart and a concern, and a deep concern for the church and for others around you. Paul says in verse 29, who is weak and I'm not weak? Who is made to stumble and I do not burn with indignation? If I must boast, I will boast in the things which concern my infirmity. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows that I'm not lying. Paul says, man, you can do all the fact checking you want here, but God's my witness. I'm not, I'm not stretching this. I'm not exaggerating. God's my witness. This is all true. I'm not lying here. But Paul knew that the Lord doesn't need strong men. He needs people who are going to be dependent on him. And you see, it's through times of suffering that we learn all the more to be completely dependent on Jesus. Paul leaves us the one last example of this. Verse 32, he says, 
In Damascus, the governor under Aretas, the king was guarding the city of the Damascenes with a garrison designed to arrest me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped from his hands. Now this kind of seems like a bit of an anticlimactic weakness to end on. These other ones, you know, being in the, in the depth of the sea night and day or being imprisoned or, you know, beaten five times like that, those are much more brutal. What's this laying down in a basket? You see, I think we can all find ourselves at times going, I can maybe endure some of those things, but I don't want to be brought to a place where I'm shamed or embarrassed. Those are sometimes the things that we hold on to or protect ourselves from the most. And in protecting ourselves from those things, we're essentially saying, I don't want to be yielded or surrendered to these things. I, I, I want to protect who I am. I want to protect me. And it's in that shame or humiliation that we kind of ultimately let everything go and everything's on the table. And Paul, here's this guy who's a sophistication, well-trained, a, a Jewish blue blood, you could say. Yet he had to be lowered down in a basket. He had to sit himself in a basket and let others lower him down. I mean, I think Paul would have been like, no, 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 I'm not going out that way, man. I'm gonna, I know there's people after me, but I'm going out and I'm gonna face them head on, man. I'm not going down like this. And the disciples had to take him. And basically, I think they had to force like, Paul, no, you're not going, there's work for you to do. The Lord's not done with you yet. Get in this basket. And here's Paul sitting down and having to rely on others, but more so have to rely on the Lord. So the Lord wasn't done with him. There's times we can feel, I'm sure, let down. We may question why the Lord does certain things. Why do we have to go through suffering? Why aren't things more easy? But these are the things that the Lord uses to do a greater work in us. A work that we don't always understand that we need to go through until we've gone through it. Listen, don't doubt the process, my friends. Just know that God is bringing about good through it all. He's building you up, he's strengthening, he's bringing you into, into a deeper relationship with him, learning, trust, dependence, and reliance upon the one that's going to uphold us. Listen, we're not promised an easy journey, but we're promised to get to the other side as you cling and stay steadfast in the Lord. Listen, we're gonna see in chapter 12 the good that Paul is gonna experience. And how sometimes the Lord needs to lower us down so that we can get a more heavenly perspective. All right, we'll see that next week. We're gonna pray. If you've got children in children's ministry while we're praying, if you could just sneak out and go and check out your children and uh, free them from there. And uh, that would be great. And then we're gonna wrap up our service after prayer here. Lord, thank you for our time together here today to look into your word and the truths of it. And today... We see such a, an example in life of Paul and the adversity and trials that he went through, and yet here's a guy that didn't give up, check out, didn't get bitter as a result. He continued with such joy in you because he knew, Lord, that you were worth it. You've done it all. You're the reason for life. And so we thank you for all you've done. Lord, I pray for those here today or listening online that might be going through challenging time. Maybe they're in a season of suffering. Maybe they've been going through adversity. I pray, Lord, that they would not view you any less, that they would not doubt or question your 
provision, your care, your love for them, but I pray that all the more they would press into you and that they would learn to be dependent upon you, knowing, God, that you're at work even in the midst of the trial, and you're doing a work in it that's going to better them, that we may not understand right now, but one day we know we will because you're a good God. And so help us to live with that dependence and faith in you. God, carry us through every challenging time. May we not lose hope, but may we continue on in hope because of all you've already done and all that you continue to do. So we love you and we thank you, Jesus. We pray this all in your name. Amen.